Deadline crew call sponsors include HBO Max presenting Hacks, nominated for 15 Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Gene Smart. Sweet Tooth is one of Netflix's most watched series ever at 60 million households. And today we are with the series co-creator, Jim Mickle. Jim, Sweet Tooth. I mean, you talk about the pandemic, this show hits it on the nose. Yeah. Tell me about when you started developing this and then filming it and the whole timing of having it drop now, it's just. Yeah. I mean, despite it being a fantasy show about hybrids, children hybrids that are animals mm -hmm. and humans, in regards to the virus, there's a lot of scary stuff in it that hits yeah. close to home. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so, yeah, we were. I guess we shot the pilot, wrote and shot the pilot in 2019. So before COVID and all that, um, it wasn't until like about the third episode of the writer's room that COVID actually happened, that actually came to be. And we were already, believe it or not, we were already like in pretty deep in a lot of our storylines that, you know, again, were inspired from a comic from 10 years before then. So um, we were already kind of fleshing out that world and the sort of the rules of the, the, pandemic and then it was like almost every day something would happen that mirrored something that we had just written yesterday or a note card on the board was like literally the headline the next day it was really pretty wild um and at some point we sort of had to look at each other and, and say you know we're not we can't really predict this or try to get ahead of stuff you know so let's tell the story the way that we've set it up to sort of be told and the chips will fall and, and hopefully the world you know is is um is ready for it when all is said and done but um but it was a lot of you know i give netflix a lot of credit for you know not being shy about putting on what it did and i think you know thankfully i think we landed at a time when there was a little bit of a break in the clouds that you know an audience like uh i think could connect with it um yeah we were very lucky <clears throat> huge result i mean huge viewership and netflix doesn't always report their numbers did this surprise you, the success of this? And do you think it was because of the pandemic? That's why everyone connected to it. What, what, yeah, what do you think grab people? What do you think grab people with this? Because you think about think about this as a movie. Um, a, a little boy with antlers on his head. Yeah. That's it's a very risky proposition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything they just said. Um, I was surprised that it did as well as it did. I mean, pleasantly surprised, you know, but I don't know that I had expectations going into that. Um, you know, I think the, I think the thing that we always knew that it was good. I was really proud of it. I always thought it was the best thing that I had done. And I think a big part of it was the heart and the emotion of it, you know, and the casting of Christian, you know, our, our cast and, and, and Nanso, I think, um there's something even though it is weird there's something incredibly universal and um touching about both of them and their you know um their dynamics so i knew that that always was something that grabbed onto people 
Um, I do think that a little mix of being just close enough to home, you know, like I felt like even, even now you see stuff that was obviously conceived of before COVID and there's always a little ring of like, it feels like it's from another era in some way, in some small way, you know, and then you see stuff that feels like it's trying too hard to link to there and it feels like that's on the nose and, um, and maybe we were just in a sweet spot where I think it was enough of a familiarity, but not enough of rubbing our noses in it, you know, that people were able to connect with it in a uh, more visceral way, I guess. <clears throat> I love the opening scene of the finale where those, where the guys yeah. are, 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 you know, spraying, <laughs> spraying the plaza there uh, and at the hospital. And <laughs> when, when one of the guys says, you know, this stuff is worse for you than the actual virus, I yeah. to my wife, He's right. He's right. Like, like I was hearing something on CNN. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, part of that, I think, was by that time, I think we were already in New Zealand. And it was like, it was just watching two different countries and societies wrestle with COVID in a way. You know, you had the in New Zealand, which had its own approach, which was, you know, shut the entire country down snuff it out, you know, um, you know, create this entire bubble, have a lot of clarity about what's going on at all times, you know, and then it was like, you get these reports from home and you just see like the way that my family, you know, what they were going about day to day was like, you could not have picked two more extreme reactions in the world. And it was, it was an interesting perspective from being there. So I guess a little bit of that leaked through there. <laughs> How closely, and in particular going forward, are you sticking to the storyline of the graphic novel? Because the tendency with any adaptation in TV uh, that's based on a book or based on a graphic novel is the TV series always takes its own path. Yeah. Maybe there's a look back and maybe there's a nod to some major moment yeah. in the graphic novel. How, but how closely are you sticking to the storyline? Um, at times, very closely. At times, obviously, we're creating stuff because we have a character that wasn't in the book or it was kind of loosely connected to a character in the book. So um, it's interesting. At some point, I have to confess, at some point, you sort of forget what's in the book and what's in your story. And I think that's a good way. You know, I think if you do it right, you get to a point where you're like, was that us or was that in the book or vice versa? Um, so that's, I think that's a good sweet spot to be in. Um, there are... Fortunately, we haven't gotten ahead of where the comic books are, you know, and we haven't diverted so much that we sort of abandon it. Um, and, and so there's um, plenty of stuff in the comic going into next season that is really fun to look at because it's like we've obviously come at it from different roads and with different elements. And now it's like telling that story with our elements um, is a cool, it's fresh. I, I, I enjoy that. And I think if I was a fan of the comic book, I think I'd be able to look at it and and know what it was doing and recognize those things that I love from the book, but also be surprised that it's not just a, you know, verbatim sort of transcription of the comic books. <clears throat> what do you, what, so what do you think is next for Gus and the hybrids? They have to get out from under the general's hand. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think, I mean, they're such sweet creatures. Do you see them becoming an army? Maybe. <laughs> Got it. Maybe. <laughs> and Bear, what are her priorities? I mean, mm -hmm. I get the sense she she wants to somehow she's somehow she has to reunite with them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have some cool plans for her this year that I think are are unexpected, you know. And that's one of those things that that was she was not in the comic, but I think we really fell in love with that character and with that actress, Stefania Owen, is so great. Um, and so we've been able to sort of write things to the strength of her and to the strength of her character this year, which I think is is very fun. But um, yeah, I think you know, she to us was always this character that sort of fell between the cracks of society, and I just felt like it was really interesting having this character that was the last generation of humans. You know, that was literally like if I was a generation older, I would be my parents, and I'd be partly responsible for what's going on in the world. If I was one generation behind me, I'd be a part of whatever the sort of new evolution of the world is, and that sort of place of being stuck, being like, I missed out on all these things is really interesting. So, you know, that's how we come at everything really with her was like a lot, like I think a lot of young people are today of like that miss school or miss their prom or miss their graduation or miss these big moments in their life, you know, due to things that have nothing to do with them. Um, so yeah, so she's gonna wrestle with a lot of that this season while also trying to, um, make several big reunions <clears throat> now i'm so glad you didn't kill tommy so glad <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I was just i got very scared there for a minute yeah uh, and <laughs> thank god thank god it was just one of those yeah we can get through this gunshot wound <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, um how do you do this is such a silly question but yet so important how do you do gus's ears is it all cgi or is there a device that yeah. Christian has? There's almost no CGI. Everyone's maybe in the whole series, maybe like 10 shots that were slightly tweaked, like maybe to retime them, but all that stuff is done on set. And that was, I think, another big thing that helped us connect, I think, was the tangibility of all that stuff. You know, um, Jeff Lemire's style of drawing is it's very, um, it's handcrafted in a really beautiful way. And I think the last thing we wanted to do was come in and try to do like a CGI it up or, or green screen it or, you know, um, or be too glossy with it. And so we really went back to a full Jim Henson approach and just said, you know, this is um, Fractured Effects, Justin Raleigh, our, uh, our, our, um, the, who runs that company. Um, they just made this incredible design where those ears go on them every morning and it's controlled by a puppeteer who is watching Christian's performance. And they have a great thing going. I think they can anticipate each other a bit. And he is able to paint in all these like amazing emotions on him. Like I kept thinking it was like, I have two dogs, you know? I kept thinking, you know, like you watch them, you watch how expressive they are with their ears. And like to be able to do that then with a human character was so cool. So it's a remote robotic. Yep, yep, yep. And, there's, and a, there's a puppeteer that sits next to us at the monitor and, 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 you know, it's just all day, even when we're not rolling, if Christian's at lunch, you know, he's still, his ears are like going up if annoyed, you know, it's like, he just watches them all day and just like plays a video game with them. It's, it's amazing. And then when Christian started, first started using that, was that a distraction or did he get used to, I mean, obviously he, he was, got used to it. Yeah, he was, you know, I mean, that's the amazing thing about Christian is like, we put him through a hard process of like testing and making sure that he was you know because you're hanging an entire tv series on a, on a you know a nine-year-old boy you know and he had had a ton of experience and he knew a lot going in he was very professional he'd been in a lot of sets but it was still like you're gonna have to do at least an hour of makeup every morning you're gonna have to have this thing strapped to your head and it makes noise like it covers his actual ears and the motors make noise you know so he has 
cables that run down his back and the motors are actually in the in uh, the the small of his back and you can hear when they go and and sometimes so sometimes he's in a quiet scene it's like you know which is i don't know how he does it because it's like right next to his ears but then sometimes we're able to actually use that to say like hey we're gonna we're gonna do a small ear move and as soon as you hear that that's when you turn your head because you heard a noise so that the ear is reacting first and he's able to take his cues from that so it's a pretty cool you know dance back and forth with him but he's amazing he never showed stress about it he was never thrown off his game like he's he's amazing david a fantastic comedy series on hbo max hacks starring gene smart and Hannah N. Binder. Both of them are nominated for Emmys. The show was nominated for 15 primetime Emmys. If you love comedy, if you love stand-up, if you love Vegas, this show takes you into that entire world. As Hannah plays a Hollywood writer who's working with this legendary comic doing punch-up for her. All episodes are streaming on HBO Max. So when did you first read the material? And what, what... What drew you to it? Yeah, I read it when it first came out. Um, I just made a movie called Stakeland, which is similar in a lot of ways. It's a you know post-apocalyptic uh, horror movie, vampire movie across the United States, sort of after the world has fallen, and it's a sort of a, a vampire slayer and a, a young boy who goes through a coming of age as they travel across the country. So it was very similar. So I think I had heard people talk about it at that time because the comic had just come out. And I remember going to a comic store and seeing that cover with Gus with the ears and the antlers and falling really in love with that. Cause I, I like comic books. Um, I can't, I can't, I always find that superheroes are more sort of traditional comic book comic books they for some reason they just don't go in that I just can't ingest them the way that I want to but there was something about that that felt so natural and I'm an animal lover and the idea of taking those elements that are incredibly sweet and incredibly heartfelt and then dropping that into a dystopian story was everything about what Jeff was doing I, I was really fascinated by so I read it as it was coming out at the time and, and was even thinking like you know all right can I follow up Stakeland with this movie um, as the story got bigger, um, and it, it just felt like there's not a place really for an indie film to do with, you know, a, a boy with antlers. Um, and so kind of finished it as a fan. And then I guess it was 2016. Um, I was talking to Teen Downey and they said, you know, we're, we're trying to crack a TV series, this comic book. Have you ever heard it? We'll send you the books. And I literally had them on the shelf. Um, and then it was kind of crazy going back and rereading it and just seeing like how even in that six years, a lot of the dystopian things that Jeff was dealing with they're talking about were coming true. And that was before COVID, but there was a lot of political stuff. Um, there was just a lot of things that were in the news that was like, wow, this feels so on the nose six years later. Um, and so then it became about trying to sort of boil it down to what, what were the sort of core elements that worked so well. And I think it was the emotion and the heart of what he was doing mixed with these, you know, very complex emotions that so is there a theme going on that's almost like reverse evolution? You know, mm -hmm. we came from animals and we're almost returning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a big, you know, especially when I first read it and when I first started working on it, you know, my wife and I have a place in the Catskills in New York and it's like, 
oftentimes we're so much more comfortable there sort of out you know out of a city and 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 um living in nature and it's like it's hard to make stories that talk about that that are still i don't know have some sort of a wider appeal or, or compelling or aren't just kind of like granola munching you know um uh you know 90s sundance movies or something so that, that was i think what i really loved about it was it was taking that point of view but putting that into more of a, a genre construct how is it working with Team Downey? Are they, you know, um, once uh, I was, I was when I was talking to Tim Van Patten on Boardwalk mm -hmm. Empire, and I asked, how is it working with Scorsese as an executive producer, you know, after he's left the project? They yeah. said, well, he, he, present, he gives precision bomb notes. Uh, <laughs> it's just very specific things. Is Team Downey the same way? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're great they are they are fantastic um and really you know uh, from day one they've been there and been supportive and all the stuff you said you know a kid with antlers that's risky like they agreed from day one that there was something really strong there that you could latch on to um and when we hit brick walls which we did several times on the way like they were the first ones you know punching away at it to break through um and and still are so um they have been great you know they are they're incredibly hands-on creatively which is great um because they you know they're the first eyes out of the writer's room that catch stuff along with um linda moran my wife um and that's been really great because they we've developed now over five years just a great way of sort of cutting through the noise on creative notes and sort of you know collaborating on how to build characters and make sure things are going the right way um susan downey in particular is you know that's the precision bomb notes you know like she's not afraid to lob something in that may make a lot of noise you know and but she does it with a specificity and a clarity that is really impressive um and i think has made the show that much better because of it so are you currently breaking story on season two yeah, we actually started a couple months ago before, you know, in case we got the pickup, um, you know, we felt good. So even before we stopped, even while we were still editing season two, we started. Um, and so I guess we're about three months in right now. Um, and we have a couple scripts down so far. Um, and yeah, it's it's there was no time off. It was literally like sound mix in the morning, you know, right into, you know, writer's room in the afternoon and all of a sudden the show comes out and like, I hope it does well. And then next thing you know, the show does incredibly well. So um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a ride. Wait, now where are you going to shoot? And, and, and when do you start New Zealand? Yep. Back in New Zealand. Um, I believe the top of the new year at this point. Um, and um, you know, manage all of the quarantine, the, you know, the two week isolation, what that looks like there and, and how that might affect us. Um, so yeah, it's been um, it's been good. I'm excited to go back. New Zealand it was amazing to shoot there. You know, the the place to live, but also um, to work. And the um, the crews are just incredible. And 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 what you can pull off and achieve there and and do in a really collaborative way is is really fun. So uh, really and, looking forward to coming back. And then they're outside of Sweet Tooth season two. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. God Country. Yeah. Yep. Tell me about what you love about that graphic novel. Yeah. So I, while we were waiting to see if the pilot for Sweet Tooth was going to get picked up, um, 
I found that graphic novel uh, legendary um, and there was something about the cover of it and um, they pitched me the sort of the concept and I just thought that's the coolest concept ever. Um, I'm sure this comic book sort of screws it up, but I'm going to read it anyway. And, and it didn't, you know, um, I just love it. It's, you know, it kind of is a superhero story, you know, but almost a backdoor superhero story, you know, and, and the main character is a, a, a guy in Texas who's suffering from Alzheimer's and um, his family is kind of at their wits end and don't know what to do with him. Um, and one day a uh, storm blows through town and leaves this sword in his yard that as soon as he picks it up, all of his symptoms go away. His, his clarity um, comes back completely, gets all of his memories back. He gets his family back. Um, and, but the sword came from another world that starts sending demons and ancient gods to get the sword back from him. Um, but he won't give it back because he knows he's gonna kind of go back to where he was. And there was something about that of like the fable kind of fairy tale, Texas fairy tale about that, that I really loved. Um, and um, I thought it was fascinating as, you know, talking about dementia and that kind of thing is always incredibly hard in reality and on screen. And it, uh, there's, there's, it's been something that's affected my family and I've sort of seen from afar over the years and to take that and again, a little bit like we did with Sweet Tooth, to take that and sort of wrap it in a fairy tale and wrap it in a genre story. Um, there's something really special about that. So. Um, Donnie Cates wrote the graphic novel. By the end of it, I was like crying by the end of it, which is tough to do with, wow. a, with a comic book. And um, but it's also incredibly entertaining and really fun at the same time. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Before we go, tell mm -hmm. me about what was one of the most challenging scenes to shoot in Sweet Tooth? And, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about a moment where you look back and you said, man, I can't believe we pulled that off. <laughs> um, the last. The last scene or second to last scene really of the finale was um, pretty epic. It was the first time that we see all the hybrids together. Um, and it was, we were trying desperately to wrap in time for Christmas. Um, there was a certain point where I think we were shooting, you know, nonstop, like seven days a week, overlapping units, you know, and it had been going like that for a couple of months. And at some point you're just like waking up, not knowing what day it is and just going and hoping that you're getting stuff that is working, hoping you're getting stuff that you're not going to go, man, what was I thinking? Cause we can't, we don't have time to come back and reshoot this. And I think it was the last day. I think it was the last scene that we shot. Um, and it was in this set where I think we hadn't even really seen a lot of the, the kids for the first time. And once you bring that, many young actors then you get such a narrow window to shoot you know it's maybe 20 minutes you know and then you got to start getting them out and wrapping them um and i remember just getting the camera up for the first time and just going oh please work please work please work and then at some point just turning and seeing everybody's faces kind of light up at the monitor like i think this is kind of special i think this works and um we wrapped and i remember just like the next morning it was almost like a you know it's like almost like a fever dream you're just like did we shoot yesterday like what did we shoot you know you're just like it was that, all that feeling of like the end of like a shoot and sort of letting everything go and being like man I hope that works and then the first time I saw the cut of the finale I just I again just broke down in tears both because it was working emotionally but also just like man we rolled so many dice and we had such a sort of fine needle to thread to to make it work um and that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty, pretty special. It's such a beautiful shot of the hybrids. Are you literally 
using the graphic novel as your storyboard? Are you lifting actual shots out? Some, like that was a moment in the comic book, I remember. Um, it was a bit smaller in the comic book, you know? Um, and, and totally, you know, a bit different, you know? Um, it was a little bit, it was a little bit darker in the moment. And that was the balance was always taking these things that on the page were incredibly dark and, and going, how do we, how do we take that and give it like just enough heart and just enough spirit to make sure that we're not, um, you know, that we're not wallowing, I guess, is the, is the, is a good word. Um, so yeah, so like most things, like that is a moment in, in a, in a, in a frame from the graphic novel, but it's sort of done with just our, our twist on it, I guess. Jim Mickle, thank you for joining thank us you. on the Crew Call. Yeah, thank you, you very the best. much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.